Amen. If you would grab your Bibles as you grab your seat and open with me to John chapter 10. John 10. We're going to take a, a break from our series through the book of Mark. Uh, chose this passage uh, knowing that we have our ordination service tonight. And John 10 is an incredibly helpful passage which helps us to understand what it means to be a pastor. And so I thought, actually about a month or two ago, I thought this would be helpful for us. But in order to understand John 10, we're going to have to hear a verse that you've probably heard many different times. We're going to have to hear it in a different way. Uh, John 10.10 10 is one of, I'd say, a handful of verses that gets quoted a lot but probably when it's quoted out of context, we misunderstand what it means. And the issue with that is that once you've heard something wrong one way, it's hard to hear it right another time. And a good example of this is whenever you've been singing a song and you thought you knew the words and you come to find out that you were completely wrong. You've been hearing the lyrics the wrong way the whole time. Anybody guilty of this before? You've been singing a song for years and you're like, wait, the words are what? Are you kidding me? I don't know why, but misheard lyrics just really tickle me. And so I googled some of the most commonly misheard lyrics, and I've got a couple for you this morning. And for whatever reason, there seems to be a common theme about food in misheard lyrics. I don't know what that's all about, but let me share a couple of these most commonly misheard lyrics. You're going to have to bear with some bad singing just because you can't not sing these songs, all right? Okay, so you're familiar with this song? From the band Starship, 1985. We built this city. We built this city on... Well, you're right. A lot of people think, apparently, it's sausage rolls. We built this city on sausage rolls. Like, what? What would that even mean? Why would... Okay, I got another one. Good 80s song from the Eurythmics. Uh, Sweet dreams are... Made of cheese, is what some people think. <laughs> Which makes a little more sense than building a city on sausage rolls, because I'm a pretty big fan of cheese. So, I mean, if that's your idea of a sweet dream, then who am I to disagree? <laughs> and then this one, it just tickles me so much. It's this Elvis song, 1965. The title of the song is the chorus, and yet people get it wrong, which is Viva Las Vegas, all right? Pretty simple, but people apparently think it's People love bagels. That's what they think the, the court, they think Elvis is just singing, people love bagels, which is, <laughs> like I can kind of hear it, but you got to at least like have some common sense, process through this. Would Elvis really decide to dedicate an entire song to just informing people, hey, just so you know, people love bagels. Like that's probably, okay, anyway. My point is that sometimes when you've heard it the wrong way, it's hard to hear it the right way. In John 10.10, 10, we can actually throw it up on the screen, is this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And if you've heard this verse quoted out of context with the rest of this passage, you've probably been taught that this verse is about Satan, that he's the thief, right? Well, that is probably not the best way to understand this verse. And so what, who is the thief? What does this verse actually mean? Well, we need to hear it the right way according to the rest of the passage. And we actually, in order to understand John 10, we have to understand what happened in John 9. 
Jesus was providing a correction to the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. We're actually chronologically just about to get here in the book of Mark. So in John, we're just a little bit farther ahead. And what happened was that Jesus came across this man who was born blind, and he healed the man of his blindness, but he just so happened to have done it on a Sabbath day. Well, you're not supposed to do work on a Sabbath day according to the Pharisees' tradition. And so they're all offended. They're up in arms. Can't believe you did this, Jesus. Well, Jesus then uses this man, his life, as like a living parable. And he, and he provides this comparison. And he basically is saying, you think this man who had no visual sight is spiritually blind as well, but you've actually got it backwards. This man who has no visual sight has more spiritual sight than you do, even though you have visual sight. And that's the corrective that Jesus gives to the Pharisees in the end of chapter 9. The Pharisees asked him this, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. He basically is saying, you think you're claiming to have spiritual sight, but you're, you're misguided, you're confused. And then we see, John 10, verse 1, there's no transition. There's no change of topic. This is Jesus still speaking to the Pharisees and the crowd that is gathered around. And so this is Jesus' answer to the Pharisees. And that helps us to know what John 10 is all about. Jesus is telling the people what kind of a pastor they should follow. He's saying, don't follow a blind pastor, uh, not physically blind, but spiritually blind. Don't follow a spiritual leader who has no spiritual insight. Instead, this is the kind of a spiritual leader that you should follow. And that's what we pick up here in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Okay, so what we're going to see in verses 1 through 6 is that Jesus is going to provide a metaphor that is supposed to communicate a spiritual truth. He's going to use this picture of pastoring or shepherding to help people to know what kind of a spiritual leader they should follow. But what we're going to see in verse 6 is the people don't get it. They don't understand what he's trying to communicate. So then in verses 7 through 15, he unpacks the metaphor for us. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to walk through verses 1 through 6 and just understand the ancient uh, practice of shepherding so that we can then hear how shepherding teaches us or communicates to us spiritual truths. Because I don't know about you, but I didn't know that much about shepherding. Basically, everything I knew about shepherding, I learned from the movie Babe, you know, the little pig and there's the dogs, and that's not a good picture of shepherding, apparently. There's not a lot of pigs involved. So um, let's walk through verses 1 through 6, okay? First, we see that there are those who might be in the sheepfold, and they've come there the wrong way. The sheepfold was a walled enclosure, like a pen, you could say, but with walls. That was The intention was to protect the sheep at night. During the day, they would go out to the pasture to eat, and at night they would go into the sheepfold, the pen, this walled enclosure to keep them safe from wolves and from thieves. And the picture that Jesus says here is that there is a door or a gate, and anybody who comes by the door or by the gate, that is someone who's supposed to be there. 
But if someone has to climb over the wall, that means they're not supposed to be there. And the assumption is they're up to no good. They're a thief or a robber. You've had this experience yourself when you locked yourself out of your home. Whenever you were then going to your windows or climbing through the dog door, you thought, if somebody sees me, what are they going to assume? They're going to assume I'm a thief or a robber. Why? Because the person who owns the house, they come in through the front door. They don't climb in through the window. Well, this is the same assumption here. The person who owns the sheep, the person who's supposed to be in the sheepfold with the sheep, how do they get there? They come by the door. And someone else who comes in another way is probably up to no good. Verse 2. Um, but he who enters by the door is not a thief or a robber. He's the shepherd of the sheep. He's supposed to be there. Verse 3. To him, the gatekeeper opens. Well, why? Because this guard recognizes the shepherd. And so he allows him to come to the door. More than that, the shepherd is recognized by the sheep as well. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought, all of, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. So his, here's a big difference between uh, what you're picturing from the movie Babe and what actually happened in ancient Israel in this time, was that the shepherds did not use sheep dogs or pigs to drive their sheep where they wanted them to go. In Western shepherding, oftentimes, we want the sheep out of the pen, the dogs will drive them out of the pen. When we want the sheep back in the pen, the dogs will drive them back in the pen. A sheep is wandering off, the dog will go and round that sheep up. That's not what they did in the ancient world in Israel. Instead, the shepherd called to the sheep, knew them individually, personally, and then would lead them where he wanted them to go. It's time to go out to pasture. Come on, sheep, let's go. And the sheep followed him because they recognized him and knew him personally and intimately. Conversely, in verse 5, we see a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So this is the the metaphor that Jesus presented, but we see in verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So the them being both the Pharisees, who he's trying to correct, and the people who are gathered there to listen, he's trying to help them to understand what kind of a pastor should you follow, and they don't get it from this metaphor. And so let's let Jesus explain it himself, looking now at verses 7 and 8. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And all who came before me are thieves and robbers. But, did, but the sheep did not listen to them. All right, go back to verse 7. Let's look at verse 7. Jesus unpacks the metaphor and he says, I am the door of the sheep. Meaning, how did this person that is called pastor, shepherd, how did they gain access to the sheep? Did they come in by the door or did they climb in over the wall? Once they're in the sheepfold and amongst the sheep, maybe you, you would look at him and go, well, that must be the shepherd. And Jesus is saying, be careful of that. Just because they have the title of pastor, just because they seem to be fulfilling that role, that does not mean they are truly a shepherd. 
Instead, you need to know how they came to that position in order to know if they should be there amongst the sheep in the sheepfold. And those who come by the door are supposed to be there. And those who climbed over the wall are not supposed to be there. They're thieves and robbers. And Jesus said, I am the door. Meaning, those who come to the role or the position of pastor through Jesus are the ones that are rightly called pastor or shepherd. And they're supposed to be there. But everybody else is a thief or a robber. They're there for their own purposes, for their own gain, and probably to the detriment of the sheep. Now remember, the sheep are not going to follow a stranger. So if a thief is there to steal the sheep, how's he going to get it out of the sheepfold? He's probably going to have to kill it so he can throw it back over the wall. And so all of this uh, picture, once it's unpacked, it teaches us this, that good shepherds come by the good shepherd. Good shepherds come by the good shepherd, meaning good shepherds, pastors who lead a church. The way that they should come to that position is through the door, through Jesus, the good shepherd. And it's funny how the Holy Spirit kind of works all this stuff out for us. It's amazing how if you're preaching through a book of the Bible, how God is able to sovereignly appoint those passages for those days and what your church is going through. And the same is even for this passage. It's not through the book that we have been going through. But months ago, I thought, hey, pastoral ordination is that night. I'll preach on John 10 that morning. And it'll be helpful for us to understand what's going on with pastoral ordination. Not knowing at that time that we would also have just presented to the church two candidates for other pastoral positions. And so we as a church are discerning and trying to figure out, are these the men of God that we need for these pastoral positions? And so I, I know for certain that the Holy Spirit lined this up months ago because we would be in this decision-making process. We would be trying to discern as a church, very practically, how am I going to vote for these three upcoming votes? Greg, does, there's no vote for Greg. You guys already voted on Greg, so he's good. But Michael... And Ben and Michael, my middle name is Michael, maybe I'll go by Michael just to make things even clearer. Um, but we're coming up on these guys and we have to vote and you have to discern, how am I going to make this decision? And I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit has lined all this up because what this passage does, John 10, is it gives us a big picture perspective on what to look for in a pastor. That it would be very easy for us to make this kind of a decision based off of smaller picture things, personal preferences, um, what we want, what we desire, what we were looking for, what we were thinking, what we had in mind. And what this passage does is it helps us to see not what we want or what we think or what we're looking for in a pastor, but what Jesus looks for in a pastor. That's a much more important standard to look toward. Because personal preferences, it's not that they're unimportant, but they are not the Word of God. And our standards, it's not that they're unimportant, but they aren't Jesus' standards. And in fact, as a pastor, if I were to look to man's standards to try to figure out how I'm going to do my job, I would find myself very confused 
Because in my time as a pastor, I've been told things like, hey, uh, when you're preaching, you should, you should dress nicer. You should probably wear a suit because that you know, shows the dignity of your role. But I've also been told, hey, when you preach, you should probably dress more casually. You're too dressed up because that makes other people feel more comfortable. Okay. Uh, and I've also been told things like, hey, when you're preaching, you should try to be funnier. Tell more stories. Keep people engaged. I've had people tell me, hey, stop telling so many funny stories. You got to take that, your job more seriously. This is an important matter. I've been told, hey, you need to preach and your sermons need to be shorter so it's more accessible to the common person. And I've been told, hey, you need to preach longer because we got to really dig into the word of God. I've been told, hey, when you're a pastor, the way that you, you live your life, you need to be more of an extrovert. You need to go out into the community. You need to be meeting people every day. I've been told, hey, you need to be more of an introvert. You need to spend your time in the prayer closet and in the study. What do I do? And as we think about it, especially in light of God's word, we realize that's man's standard. Those are personal preferences. And when Jesus described a pastor, he actually didn't talk about what the guy was wearing as he led the sheep. He didn't talk about uh, how long his sermons were. He didn't actually give direction on any of those things. Instead, he gave us a much bigger picture of idea of what it means to be a faithful shepherd of God's flock. And so if we're going to answer this question, what kind of pastor should you follow? We shouldn't look to personal preferences to answer that question. Instead, we should answer that question with another question. What kind of pastor should you follow? Well, what did Jesus say? And we could look to several passages to answer that question. But here in John 10, we see first that a good shepherd is one who comes by the good shepherd. A good shepherd is one who comes by the door through Jesus. Which describes for us two things. Both the means of becoming a shepherd and the motivation of becoming a shepherd or a pastor. In other words, we could say it this way, why, or I mean, sorry, how did they become a pastor and why did they become a pastor? The first question, how did you get here? Why are you in this role? Kind of picture that sheepfold, that pen. There's the person in the middle of the sheepfold amongst the sheep and the guard doesn't recognize them. They go, whoa, whoa, hey, what are you doing here? How did you get in here? I almost picture like a, I don't know, like a VIP lounge at like a club or maybe at an airport. The airport, the doors open, the, the fogged glass. You're like, what's, what's going on in there? Like, it must be nice, right? And then it closes. And if you were in there, you're not supposed to be in there. Someone's going, hey, you're not supposed to be here. How did you get in here? And if your answer was, uh, so-and-so brought me in here. You're able to drop a name. And they recognize that name. Oh, okay. All right. You can be here. Well, that's the answer. Hey, how did you get here, pastor? Why are you in this role? And you say, well, Jesus let me in. That's quite the name drop, right? Hard to argue with that. In other words, we're saying, I am here. The means of me becoming a pastor is by Christ's appointment. He called me here. It's not because I've maneuvered or politicked or I was able to shake enough hands and kiss enough babies to make people like me enough that they voted yes. No, it's Christ appointed me to this position. He called me to be the shepherd of this church. 
And actually, shepherd is maybe not even the best picture of my role because the means of becoming a pastor is by Christ's appointment, but it's also under Christ's authority. That I preach whenever I preach, it is with a borrowed authority. I don't come here up here and tell you my opinions. I do my very best to come up here and tell you what God has already said, to speak from the authority that he has. And, and this means that I do my very best to preach and to teach in alignment with Jesus' teaching. And this is what a good shepherd does. And so as you think about all of the different spiritual voices that can be speaking into your life, that is one of the main criteria that you, could be look, you should look for, is are they preaching and teaching in alignment with Jesus' preaching and teaching? I would imagine here this morning, uh, though this passage is helpful for us as a church as we figure out who we're going to vote for and what pastors we want, this passage is incredibly helpful for other reasons too. Maybe you're here this morning and you're searching for a church. You're trying to figure out where God wants you to be. What kind of a pastor should you sit under? And that is a tough decision to, to discern through. I'm confident God has a specific church for you to commit to. But as you're discerning through that, let me tell you this. The Word of God is very clear that a good shepherd preaches and teaches in alignment with God's Word. So commit to a church where you know that is happening. Beyond that, there are even more spiritual or voices speaking into your spiritual life. What kind of sermons are you listening to? Podcasts are you listening to? What kind of books are you reading? Let me tell you this. It doesn't matter how many people come to the pastor's church doesn't matter how many books they've sold. doesn't matter if they're on TV or not. If they're not preaching and teaching in alignment with Jesus' teaching, then they are not a good shepherd. They are a thief and a robber. And you should not let that person pastor you. You should not let them speak into your spiritual life. And so this is the means by which a person becomes a pastor— by Jesus. And this is also the motivation. Go back to that, that VIP room. How'd you get here? Well, Jesus let me in. Well, why are you here? Well, Jesus has a job for me to do. That's why I'm doing this. Not for me, but for him. I am serving in alignment with Christ's appointment and authority, but I'm also serving for Christ's benefit. For his sheep's benefit. At the end of the day, though I am the pastor, you are not my sheep. Not technically. In 1 Peter, uh, the shepherd is described as the under-shepherd. The pastor is the under-shepherd, and Jesus is the chief shepherd. Meaning he has entrusted his sheep to these pastors. And so I'm not here to build my own kingdom, and a good shepherd does not take the role for the purpose of building his own kingdom. He does it for Jesus' kingdom, to, for the benefit and the good of Jesus' sheep. In allegiance to Jesus, he calls, and a good shepherd answers that call. And a shepherd with any other motivation is a thief and a robber. Now, this could play itself out in a lot of different ways. It could be very literal. 
in that there are those who use their power and their authority to quite literally steal from the church. They swipe their card, their church card, when they're not supposed to, and it goes unnoticed or it gets brushed under the rug because of their position of power and authority. And this person is no shepherd. They are a thief and a robber. But it can be a lot less literal than that. And that does not make it less serious. It can be a shepherd who is, who is entrusted with a, a full-time salary, and they just give the bare minimum. They just scrape by. They're lazy. They don't give their full effort, their full devotion, their full attention to God's kingdom. Instead, they pull a paycheck. And this person is a thief and a robber. It can be those who are not stealing financially, but instead they're interested in stealing God's glory or God's authority. By authority, I mean that there are those who, who just like the idea of being able to be the boss and be able to direct people. They want to be the, the puppet master or the, the chess master, and they see the position of pastor as an opportunity to do that. And that person is stealing Jesus' authority. They're a thief and a robber, and they are no rightful shepherd because they have not come by the door in submission to Jesus. But maybe trickiest of all is those who steal God's glory. I think this is something that every shepherd wrestles with. Because what happens whenever you faithfully serve God in the power of the Holy Spirit, be it preaching a sermon or organizing an event... Is people at the end of, the, of that thing, they're thankful that they saw God use you and they pat you on the back. It's easy to let that encouragement deceive your heart. It's easy for me at the end of a sermon and people go, you know, good word, pastor, to go, yeah, I did do a good job. That's me stealing God's glory because this is, if there is a good sermon, it's nothing that I've done. It is the Holy Spirit working through me, using the word that he inspired to do things that man can't do. Now, that's not me saying don't encourage your pastors. Tell them good job. Don't, you know, because it is important that we encourage one another. So if after this sermon, someone says, good job, pastor, I'm not like, hey, you weren't listening, you know. We should encourage our pastors when they serve faithfully. But there's a danger in there to become a thief and a robber that we want the glory for ourselves rather than giving it to God who alone deserves it. And so this is the means and the motivation of being a good shepherd, which is to come by the door. But this is not the only standard that Jesus sets for a good pastor. This is not the only way we can answer that question, what kind of pastor should you follow? So let's look now at verses 9 and 10. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Okay, so this verse is helpful for two reasons. First of all, if you're here this morning and, and this whole Jesus thing is new to you, you need to know very clearly there is no other way to be saved but by the door. 
There is no other way for you to be forgiven of your sins so that at the end of this life, when you come face to face with God, you'll be welcomed into paradise instead of cast into eternal punishment. The only way that can happen, the only access to heaven is by the door, by Jesus Christ. But this verse is also important for us as we think about the role of pastor because there is implicit in this statement the question of how did the sheep come to the door? It's because the pastor led them there. Remember from earlier in the verse that the pastor calls to his sheep. They hear his voice and they respond and they follow him. That he even knows them each individually by name so that if one were to begin to wander off, he could call out, hey, John, John, I don't know if that's a good name for a sheep. John the sheep, you know, come. He can call them and bring them back. And this is the picture that is here in verse 9. How do the sheep come in and be safe? And how do they go out and be fed? It's because of the leading of the pasture. But the opposite of that is verse 10. Rather than working for the good of the sheep, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But Jesus, the good shepherd, says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. All right, so here's our misheard lyric. Now knowing the context of the passage, is this in reference to Satan? Maybe on a secondary level, but the primary level is what? He's talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about bad pastors, bad shepherds, those who are in it, in the sheepfold, in and amongst the sheep, only for their own benefit. Even to the detriment of the sheep. They're willing to kill the sheep so they can get it over the wall and get it back and get it sold or whatever. But that's not what a good shepherd does. Instead, he comes in order for the benefit of the sheep, for their life, even to the abundance of life. And so, in this picture, the second characteristic we see would be this, that good shepherds love like the good shepherd. Good shepherds love like the good shepherd. And so we see in this passage these two signs of pastoral love, knowing the sheep by name, being able to call out to them individually. And let me just say, I'm still working on it, to be honest, a lot of sheep in this flock, okay? I feel like I'm about halfway there. Keep helping me. Just keep introducing yourself to me. But even better than that is like, let's go get coffee or let's have a meal together because I want to know more than your name. I want to know your story. And that's not going to happen in 30 seconds on Sunday morning every week. So help me to be the kind of pastor that Jesus calls me to be, which is to know you personally and intimately. Let's do something so that that can happen. But secondly, we see that the, sh- the pastor also should be known for leading the sheep rather than sending them. All right, sheep, go to pasture. Go on, get out there. No, that's not what the shepherd does. The shepherd leads them out so that he can actively protect them while he's out there. So they know where to go and he can be with them. It's a picture of love and a picture of intimacy. And so we see here that that's the kind of shepherd that Jesus is. That's the kind of shepherd that you should follow. A Hebrew professor of mine uh, was telling the story that he was in Israel trying to look for some ancient city that they're digging out or whatever. It's like off the beaten path. And he got lost. 
And so he stops his car, and there's actually a shepherd up on the hill, and the shepherd comes down to give him directions. But as, he walk, as the shepherd walks away from the sheep, and the sheep no longer can see him or hear him, they begin to start crying out, getting louder and louder and louder, until it's almost hard for the shepherd to have this conversation with my professor. And it's because they're anxious. Where's our shepherd? Where did he go? We don't see him. And then the shepherd calls out to them, just a word or two. In Israel, I don't know what he said, but he calls out to them, and they go quiet instantly. As soon as they heard the voice of their shepherd, so they knew he was close, so they knew that they were safe. They knew that he was loving them and protecting them and guiding them and caring for them. And this is the picture of the kind of shepherd that Jesus is, and this is the picture of the kind of shepherd that you should follow. Let's ask our question again. What kind of pastor should you follow? And let's ask the question again. Well, what did Jesus say? He said, pastors who love the church. Pastors who love the people personally. Ones who are willing to lead the charge. Not just send the sheep out to do the work, but to go with the sheep. To get their hands dirty while we do the work of building God's kingdom together. There's one more descriptor as we wrap up our passage this morning, verses 11 through 15. We saw that a good shepherd comes by the good shepherd, a good shepherd loves like the good shepherd, and now, lastly, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. So here he turns the metaphor a little bit. First, he's the door, which means that's the avenue or the access of becoming a shepherd. But now he says, also, I am the good shepherd, meaning I am the example or the standard of the perfect shepherd that all other shepherds should look to. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So if you were to hire someone who doesn't care about the sheep... And then things get dangerous, a wolf shows up, that hired hand who doesn't love the sheep, he's just going to get, he's going to be gone because he's not going to stick his neck out for the good of the sheep. And Jesus is saying, that's not a picture of a shepherd. A shepherd is so committed to his flock that he's willing to lay down his life for his flock. Verse 14 and 15, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And so this is Jesus pointing to his work on the cross. That he would be the one who would lay down his life so that the sheep, the flock, can be saved. But this is also Jesus giving the example for a pastor. And we could say it this way, that good shepherds sacrifice like the good shepherd. Good shepherds sacrifice like the good shepherd, which is our last point this morning. Good shepherd sacrifice like the good shepherd. This means that a good shepherd is willing to die many small deaths for the good of the flock. In order to protect the sheep. And, and what do we see that the sheep need to be protected from? From thieves, which would be self-seeking false teachers... For the, who are only in it for their own benefit. 
They need to be protected from wolves, which are those who would, would seek to destroy the flock, who hate the church of God. Sheep need to be protected from themselves in some ways, from lostness and wandering. So protecting those who need to be brought back in. And in order to do all of these things, it requires sacrifice from the shepherd. Thieves are cunning. They don't like to be called out as thieves. Wolves are dangerous. They want to destroy God's flock in any way they can. And, and saving those from lostness and wandering requires an outward focus and hard work. Rather than circling up in our holy huddle, we have to seek out those who need to be brought in. And so in all of those ways and many other ways, a good shepherd continuously is willing to die small deaths for the flock. And so what kind of pastor should you follow? Again, what did Jesus say? He painted a very different picture from a list of personal preferences. I think a pastor needs to look this way, dress this way, act this way, talk this way. No, he said a good shepherd is one who is allegiant to King Jesus. One who loves Jesus' church and one who's willing to continuously sacrifice Jesus's church. And so what does this mean about Michael and Greg and Ben and, and Michael? If nothing else, it sets in front of us a very different standard than our personal preferences. And so what can we say about these men according to Jesus's standard? I believe wholeheartedly that all of these men love Jesus deeply. They are committed to him. Deeply, they are committed to his word. And deeply, they are committed to his church. But not just his church. They are committed to this church, to Emmanuel Baptist Church. They have already sacrificed much to serve it well. And I expect nothing less that they would continue to serve specifically Emmanuel Baptist Church, and specifically the sheep within Emmanuel Baptist Church well. That they would do this even though it requires great sacrifice of themselves. I believe that they strive to live up to this standard that Jesus has put before us. Of course they're not perfect. None of us are. If one of them is perfect, let them come be the lead pastor and I'll go be something else. Of course, they can grow and mature and develop. Of course, they can gain skills that they don't have. But as we look at the example that Jesus gave us of what a pastor is, we look at these men. I see the standard that Jesus has set before us. And this is so important because this is the standard that I want to be held to. When someone comes along and tells me, hey, I think you should dress in this way, I, I listen and I, I try to receive constructive criticism. But it is a very different thing when someone comes to me and says, hey, I see in God's word that this is what a pastor is supposed to be and I think you need to step it up. When that happens, I say, thank you. Because I want to be a faithful shepherd. I want to please King Jesus with the way that I pastor. And at the end of the day, I won't be held accountable to people's personal preferences. But I will be held accountable to how I shepherd this church 
according to Jesus' standard. And so what do we do with this church text? What do we do with this text, church? See, I'm not perfect. I already told you that, right? Maybe this morning you are clearly discerning in your heart that you are called to pastoral ministry. Men, are you called to serve Jesus in this way? Women, are you called to serve Jesus, not as a pastor, but vocationally with your life, serving the church? All of these roles are critically important. And Jesus, if you are called into the sheepfold, he will make it clear to you. Maybe this morning you are called to join this church. You see that our desire is to live up, not to personal preference, but to God's standard. And that should be a good indication to you that this might be the place that God has for you. Or maybe this morning you were called to follow the good shepherd for the very first time. And I tell you this, it doesn't matter how good your pastor is. He cannot lay down his life for you for eternity. Only Jesus can pay that price, and only the good shepherd can rescue you. Follow him, and then you will be saved. Father, we love you. We're thankful for your perfect and holy word. We're thankful for how it both encourages us and challenges us. We're thankful that you give us the guidance we need the direction that we need so that we can be faithful sheep and faithful shepherds, that we can be an effective church for your kingdom. God, in this time of response, we ask that you would move clearly and powerfully in the way that you desire. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.